0: I would now like to introduce the moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, Thank you so much, Michelle. And I,
1: too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, New Perspectives in the Treatment of Advanced Skin Cancer, Advanced Basal Cell and Squamous Cell Cancers. And this is Part 1 of Living with Advanced Skin Cancer and Melanoma. And today's program is supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb and a grant from Genentech, and I really want to thank them for their support of the program today. And we have over 207 participants on the call today, and you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants today from Australia, Canada, France, Iraq, Poland, and United Kingdom, so it's really a bit of a global call as well. And uh, we're delighted to have all of you on the call today. Um, And uh, this is such an important program. And although I realize all of you are in different parts of the United States and in different parts of the world, um, so for some of you it is, we're entering summer, and for some of you it's summer already, or it's summer (laughs) year-round. So um, in any case, um, this is such an important program for you all to hear. Now before we move on to introducing our first speaker, Um, I'm going to just ask you just a few questions. Um, It really helps us in planning future programs to know, to have a better understanding of what you know um, about these questions. We really appreciate your doing this. And for those of you who are live streaming, you'll be able to address these questions. You'll be able to answer these questions. So on the first question, on a scale of one to five, with one the highest rating and five the lowest rating, please select your rating. I understand new treatment approaches for advanced skin cancers, including basal cell and squamous cell cancers. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand the emerging role of targeted treatments for advanced basal cell and squamous cell cancers. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, I understand how to manage the treatment side effects, discomfort, and pain of advanced basal cell and squamous cell cancers. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. now just two questions left. I understand how to manage the care of skin during cancer treatments, including sun and wind safety tips. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And then this will be the last question. I understand the significance of clinical trials for advanced basal cell and squamous cell cancers. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I want to thank you all for participating in these questions and answering them. It really helps us as we plan future programs. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Michael Wong. Dr. Wong is Professor of Medicine, Cutaneous Cancers, Medical Oncology, Executive Director, Integration and Program Development Cancer Network, MD Anderson Cancer Center. And Dr. Wong will be addressing an overview of advanced skin cancer, including basal cell and squamous cell cancers, new treatment approaches, emerging role of targeted therapy, clinical trial updates, managing treatment side effects, symptoms, discomfort, and pain, and the increasing role of telehealth and telemedicine appointments. It's really my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker and our esteemed colleague, Dr. Michael Wong.
2: Thank you very much, Dr. Manser. It's my distinct pleasure and a great honor to be able to spend time with you all today to speak about uh, uh, The uh, skin cancers known as the non-melanoma skin cancers, namely basal cell carcinoma and squamous cell carcinomas of the skin. There's been some tremendous changes in this area over the past several years and really has resulted in a new way of thinking about these. So when I start the discussion, I would say, well, what's the difference between these cancers and why does it matter? So basal cell and squamous cell cancers of the skin come from different parts of the skin as the most superficial layer the the part of the skin that gives rise to the ring around a bathtub if you wish the keratin that is on your skin really is called the epidermis and at the epidermis layer which is the the outside layer of the skin uh, at the very base of it closest to the inside of the body is the basal layer and presumably basal cell carcinomas come from that part of the skin squamous cell carcinomas come from the actual constituents that make the keratinized layers these are the cells they're called squames because they have a flake-like appearance to them, a, a squashy flake-like appearance under a microscope, and they actually migrate to the top of the of the skin layer and become die off and become keratin, and then that's the stuff that covers your body. You can get cancers of both types of those layers. We believe that uh, that that part of the body as it as you live through life. Uh, uh, you know, and protects you from the outside world can be affected by all things going on outside. And one of the um, big risk factors for developing these skin cancers is sun exposure. And we'll talk more about this in a minute. And Dr. Le Couture will touch upon this. In fact, uh, because it's one of the major instigators of skin skin cancer, we've been coming. We've be, we've become increasingly wise about how to be sun smart. And and he'll say a few words about that. Now. There's been some tremendous changes in this area because uh, we have come to understand what the uh, mechanisms of uh, cancer are in these cells, what makes uh, cells that are benign become cancerous. In the case of uh, basal cells and squaring cell carcinomas, we have new information that gives rise to new ways of treating them. Now, I'm going to point out that the major way of treating these cancers is by simple excision. So the vast majority of these cancers are handled in dermatologist's office, in family doctor's office, whereas they come up and are found to be malignant or simply removed uh, uh, with minor excision in the office. And so that's uh, a situation in which uh, already you can tell it close. Of, um, uh, relationship between your, yourself and your dermatologist or your family practitioner is important because they know your skin well. And, and my patients always ask me, Doctor, how do I know what to worry about? The major thing to look at are, are, are change in your skin, be it pigmentation, be it growth of nodules and so on and so forth. You know your skin better than anyone else. And in the day, uh, in this current era of cell phones and the rest of it, having the ability to um, uh, take pictures and show your doctor is very important because they're going to ask you what's changed. And this speaks to the, one of the last topics I'll talk to you about today, which is you know interacting with your uh, home team uh, in this current era of telemedicine. So, having said that, uh, the, the cancers that have, that I want to talk about specifically, the ones that have, are controlled by your local dermatologist's office. And what happens is that if simple excision is uh, deemed to be inadequate to remove this tumor, then a more extensive uh, surgery can be done called Mohs surgery, M-O-H-S. It's a specialized dermatologic procedure in which they have a very uh, specific way of uh, of removing the uh, tumor from your skin and in testing to make sure that the edges of resection are free of cancer. That's called Mohs surgery. Now, I as a medical oncologist become involved because in the unusual or rare circumstance uh, that uh, these cancers become more aggressive and escape the primary site of the skin to go to other structures in your body, be it uh, a deposit further away in the skin or within lymph nodes that drain the area, um, this is where I get involved predominantly because I, as a medical oncologist, treat with medicines. And this is where some of the biggest innovations have taken place. Uh, had you come to my practice 15, 20 years ago, we would have been having a, a discussion about chemotherapy. And although it is still part of our treatment uh, uh, paradigm, I can tell you that it's that it that it's been superseded by many of the things I want to talk about today. Let's talk about basal cell carcinoma. Uh, Scientists have really worked out what the internal machinery, the protein machinery inside the cancer that, that converts it from something which is benign to something which is malignant. And uh, they have discovered that abnormalities in proteins that are associated with a pathway called hedgehog are the ones that drive the cancer. Now, I'll take one second here to to say that, that the scientists who discovered this get to name it, and many of the work that, that came out of uh, developmental biology, looking at fruit flies and how they form their wings and so on and so forth and looking at the genes that, that sort of drive that, that's the kind of science that actually um, uh, became very, very important because we found out that the same genes that give rise to a certain shape of the wing of a fruit fly, in this case it, it has a, a, a sort of um, a sawtooth appearance similar to a uh, hedgehog, um, and that's why they named it hedgehog uh, pathway, that those same genes are involved in basal cell carcinoma. And from that came the knowledge that we've developed medicines that can stop this pathway from working and exerting its effect. Well, then you can have significant effects on uh, on the basal cell cancers and, and so many years ago clinical trials were done testing this uh, idea and proved to be successful so now the use of these hedgehog inhibitors have become the frontline therapy for situations in which basal cell carcinoma have uh, uh, escaped the ability to be controlled by surgery, simple surgery alone or even most surgery So what are these things? Hedgehog inhibitors are pills that you take. These are medicines and pills that you take uh, on a regular, everyday basis. They go into your body. They get absorbed. They go to the cancer, and they stop this hedgehog uh, protein, the proteins in the hedgehog pathway, from working. Uh, They are uh, highly efficacious, and they're very specific. So I remind folks, these are not chemo. So you're not going to be sitting here with the chemotherapy side effects that we have come to uh, to to to, uh, to understand uh, happen when you get these med- uh, get chemotherapy. However, they do have side effects. There's so no such thing as medicines without side effects, and 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 most of these have to do with uh, uh, things like uh, changing the way you taste. Uh, uh, they, they have imp- they have impact on uh, your joints, your muscles, and uh, even your hair. some people have hair loss. It's important to realize that these are not permanent effects. These are effects that can uh, uh, wax and wane according to how your medicines are taken. And this is a good place to, to really point out that uh, that a good interaction, a good uh, communication pathway between you and your doctor, very important to uh, to really help manage these uh, side effects. And, and by uh, varying dose and schedule, you can really have impact on, on uh, the cancer and the quality of life of the person taking the medicine. I want to segue now to talk about squamous cell carcinoma. That, too, is a cancer that was originally treated with chemotherapy way in the past, but but something new has come to the forefront. Yeah. Very recently we found that using medicines that trigger your the patient's their immune system, your immune system, uh, to fight the cancer, Uh, has, is is a very efficacious way to attack the cancer. So what is your immune system? This is something you're born with, and it's not one organ. It's an entire system. It comprises spleen, liver, uh, uh, thymus gland, bone marrow, lymph nodes, so on and so forth. It is an entire system that you're born with, which fights off things that don't belong to you. So uh, it will fight off parasites. It will fight off viruses. Thank God for that. And it, and if I took a piece of, uh, of my skin and stuck it onto yours because we're not related, it doesn't belong to you, you'll fight that off. It's a mechanism of, of rejection. So um, it is a powerful pathway put there. And it turns out that cancer finds way to, to, to either numb down your own immune system or to cook itself and make itself invisible from your immune system. And, and thus, by allowing it to grow, that this is one of the mechanisms that really – uh, can be uh, uh, can be uh, um, uh, sort of triggered in order to fight the cancer. So immune therapies are medicines given by intravenous, which go into your body and impact your immune system to allow your immune system to wake up and fight the cancer. It's a very important mechanism. It's become the front-line way of attacking multiple solid tumors, and there's about eight or nine of them including lung cancer, melanoma, Merkel cell carcinoma, bladder cancer, kidney cancer. We go on and on. It's become one of the major ways right now today in which we're uh, uh, using to fight cancer. And that is also the way we're using to fight squamous, squamous cell carcinoma. And more recently, uh, within, the past, uh, within this year, we found it's also a way that can, we can use to fight uh, basal cell cancers uh, in which, uh, hedgehog inhibitors have either failed to control, or you are unable to take hedgehog inhibitors. So, this immune therapy has become the front-line way of uh, attacking uh, squamous cell cancers and, and refractory basal cell cancers uh, at the present time. And also, it's a major way to fight multiple other cancers. Now, this is a very new way of fighting cancer, and the side effects that you might get from this. Uh, uh, are all related to your immune system waking up and fighting not just the cancer, but your own body. So I tell my own patients, any tissue in your body, any organ can be affected by this. And the, the part that's difficult is that each of us come with our own immune system, conditioned by a lifetime of living on this earth, interaction with outside pathogens, and, of course, the environment in which you were formed while you were still in your mommy's tummy. So this means that this is highly individualized. So it's all it's very difficult to predict in any one individual person what side effects they may have. So again I tell my patients this is a situation that uh, that when we see each other face to face it's important to relate to me the symptoms that you have even though we run a battery of blood tests routinely in these patients and we assess them in a way that allows us to detect the most common side effects, the, the the most effective way of treating side effects is to have a good conversation and to then use investigations to back it up. There are antidotes to the side effects, and so therefore uh, nipping things in the bud is much better than letting things fester along. So this is where uh, we talk about uh, how to sort of interact with your, your team during this COVID era, more and more we're doing telemedicine, and and uh, sometimes it's video visits, sometimes it's just over the phone, and uh, just like a, just like right now, I cannot see your face. So I tell my patients, importantly, uh, we don't have the social cues that let me know that we're having a good interaction. So please, I tell my patients, please interrupt me. I do not feel bad about it. Raise your voice, please write down what you need to to talk to me about it so we don't lose track of it and to, because it's a skin cancer sometimes during video visits uh you know it's important to show me what's involved and 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 I cut people a lot of slack I, I my mother's almost 90 years old I bought her an iPad and and the other day she was trying to show me skin lesions i have to tell you the frustration and having to point the camera in the right place so i'm with you on that um but you know for those that are able to do it and be savvy about it uh, you know, position yourself in an area of good light. I tell my patients go by go by a window or some place that has sunlight because that's a consistent way of lighting. So therefore I know about pigmentation. I can tell how dark something is. I don't have to worry whether this is inc- incandescent or fluorescent or LED lighting. It's the same thing all the time. And likewise when you take pictures, same thing. Try to find a situation in which you have the same lighting, in this particular case the sun is perfect because it's always the same thing, and we can all relate to it. So I'm going to, uh, you know, as I, my time winds down, I'm going to end by also saying the, the clue to the best treatment uh, outcome is to have a close relationship with your uh, oncology team, your treating team, know how to get hold of folks, know how to uh, what the, uh, every practice has a mechanism to handle phone calls and to handle, uh, you know, uh, emergencies that occur off hours. Make sure you ask about that. In my particular case, we give patients a card that has these numbers and I, at the first visit, I always ask them to show me the card and I'll point out the number to call. Um, And again, because many of these things, these side effects can occur uh, uh, in unpredictable ways because we're all individuals with individual um, uh, immune systems. And so I'm gonna end there. I I wanna say thank you to Dr. Messner to allow me this time to share some of the new things happening in skin cancer. And uh, I'll turn the podium back to Dr. Messner. Thank you again.
1: Oh, thank you, Dr. Wong. That was outstanding. Just a wonderful presentation. And really, you really set the whole context for today's program. So much information. I know there will be questions for you during the Q&A. So thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Mario Lacatour. Dr. Lacatour is Director, Oncodermatology Programme. Dermatology Service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Professor of Dermatology, while Cornell Medicine. And Dr. Lacouture will be addressing tips for caring for your skin during cancer treatments, sun and wind safety tips, communicating with your healthcare team about quality of life concerns, the increasing role of telehealth telemedicine appointments, important questions to ask when communicating with your healthcare team including follow-up care, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, list of prepared questions, and open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. LaCouture.
3: Well, thank you very much, Carolyn. And I would also like to thank all of you on the call today. And also, following up on our our previous speaker, Dr. Wong, and the uh, important contributions that medical oncologists and patients all over the world have made to improving the treatments for advanced basal cell and squamous cell carcinomas have resulted in the improvement of lives of so many people. So it's important also to keep in mind that there are other factors during your treatment that also warrant important consideration. For example, it's important to ensure that since many of these treatments can affect your skin, hair, or nails, these are in the optimal health when you are starting and when you are staying on treatment. And there are several ways to do that, and most of which can be done by yourselves and your family. And they include, for example, the use of gentle, fragrance-free detergents when you uh, wash your clothes and also fragrance-free soaps that you use in the shower. All of these will ensure that your skin barrier uh, is the least disrupted and is able to tolerate any effects that the medications that are given by your oncologist may have. In addition to that, keeping the skin well-moisturized is key. Remember, your skin is not only the largest organ in your body, but it is also a barrier that protects you against microbes from the environment, against ultraviolet radiation coming from the sun. So the importance of skin health will be reflected in the fact that Any effect of the cancer medications on your skin will be minimized the healthier your skin is. So moisturizing your skin at least twice a day after the shower and before you go to bed. It is important to use a moisturizer that is devoid of fragrances or strong scents. Apply it liberally throughout your body. For those people that do not like to apply moisturizers over your body, there are now types of moisturizers that are available as sprays. So you can spray these and it's very easy to apply and takes a minimum amount of time. When going outside, it's important if it's windy outside to protect yourself, again, with moisturizer and with clothing and also if it is sunny or you're going outside between the hours of 10 a.m. or 2 p.m., or if you're going out in the summertime to protect your skin against the sun. As many of the medications that have resulted in these remarkable results in basal and squamous cell carcinomas may make your skin more sensitive to the sun. I would like to say, though, that we never recommend for anyone to stay inside and not enjoy times with their friends and family or hobbies because of a medication they are on, even if it's sunny outside. With proper protection, with the use of sun protective clothing that covers your arms and legs, a broad-brimmed hat, the use of a sunscreen that has a sun protection factor of at least 30 applied every two hours or every hour if swimming or sweating on any exposed areas of your body should protect you to the degree that you can enjoy yourselves outside. We recommend sunscreens that contain either uh, uh, zinc or titanium. These are minerals that protect you against all types of radiation coming from the sun. And importantly, the amount of sunscreen to be applied is the amount in a small cup that should cover your entire body. Now, these are things you can do at home. These are things that will help your skin stay in the best health possible. So again, you can tolerate many of the potential side effects from these uh, amazing new medications. And also, if any side effects do occur, they can be more easily managed. It is important to communicate with your healthcare team if you notice any changes in your skin in the form of a spot in your skin, in the form of a rash, a blister, a change in skin color when you are undergoing any of these treatments. Another uh, important reminder when you see any of these things, now with uh, many people having access to smartphones or telephones with a camera is to take a picture of any skin change or any skin spot that you notice during your treatment so that you can later show this to your oncology care team. And along those lines, involve a family member. If you have spots that you cannot reach, they're on your back or there are areas of your body that are difficult to reach. So they can take the pictures of those areas perhaps in a, a more focused way since they are able to uh, move a little bit further away from uh, from the area that uh, you would like to take the photo from and once you have these pictures it's important to keep them but also it's important not to wait for your next appointment till, till you see your medical oncologist or your oncology team to show them those pictures, especially if any of these uh, changes in your skin are associated with itching or pain. So any skin change that is associated with itching or pain should be immediately reported to your oncologist. There are many tools that your oncologist will have to treat any of these conditions, And also importantly, by treating it early, it will prevent any skin problem to progress to the degree where it may affect your ability to receive your treatment. And another important aspect is that even if there is something very small in your skin that may be only associated with a little bit of itch or a little bit of pain, over the course of a day it may not be as important. But over the course of a few weeks or a few months, then it will become even more annoying and problematic for you and probably more difficult to treat. So what I like to say to patients is treat early whenever possible so that any skin condition does not progress to where it affects you, of course, which you are the most important in any of this, but also does not affect your oncologist's ability to uh, treat you with the anti-cancer medication that would be most beneficial. Now, seeing how things have changed over the past year and a half, we know that more and more people are using uh, uh, the telemedicine visits. So uh, these are uh, situations where you will communicate with your oncologist uh, in a form that is different from what you were used to. Not going to the office, but actually uh, having a phone call with your medical oncologist, and in some cases, these phone calls will involve a video uh, type of uh, setup. In other words, your oncologist will be able to see you through your phone or through your computer, if you have a camera in your computer, and you will be able to speak to your oncologist and their care team and report your symptoms, hopefully in a way that will be Uh, reflective of what you are uh, feeling and of what it would be like if you were there in person. I would say that these telemedicine calls really have been uh, amazing for many, many people in terms of saving the time needed to go to the doctor and uh, allowing people to spend more time with their family or their hobbies or working, but also there are some conditions that may warrant Uh, visit in person, and these are conditions that uh, really uh, may be problematic for you, that you may need a blood test, uh, that uh, are painful, uh, that are itchy. In those situations, or that have not responded to uh, what your oncologist has given you for the treatment of them, in those situations, a visit in person would be ideal, and then uh, when you... Speak to your oncology care team. Don't be afraid to ask as many questions as you as, as would make you comfortable. What is the importance of any of these findings? How long will I be on these medications? If they prescribe a medication for me, and you go to the pharmacy and uh, you, it turns out that the medication is not covered by your insurance, what are the alternatives? And that is one of the um, probably the, one of the most important reasons for uh, patients calling us after we see them is that the medications may or may not be covered, or the copays are too high. In these cases, there are a number of resources that are available to lower the copay or to use an alternative medication that would be equivalent and that would help with the symptom or the problem that you may be having. And in addition to that, uh, it's important to ask what are the most common side effects for any of these medications, and if side effects do occur from those medications, again, to report them quickly to your oncology care team. Now, what to do before you are set up for a telemedicine call is as important as the telemedicine call itself. The most efficient way to have a telemedicine call with your doctor is to be prepared. So be in an area, if the video will be involved, uh, to be in an area that is well lit, that you feel comfortable, an area that is quiet, where you have privacy, in case your doctor needs to see some parts of your body. Ideally have a family member that may help if the camera needs to be moved around to show a part of your body that may not be easily visible. Having any medications that you are taking right there so you can show your doctor either in a list or the actual bottles uh, in the counter or close to where you are are always important so that your health uh, your, uh, healthcare provider is able to see what you are receiving or what you are taking and there are no problems with giving um, duplicate medications or giving more of a medication of a certain dose that is intended to. And another important thing is that with this uh, increasing uh, technology, uh, one is able now to see the results of many laboratory tests even before that next visit or imaging tests even. I strongly uh, recommend that these laboratory tests are viewed with caution. There are many changes in the blood or in uh, some imaging studies in people living with cancer that uh, may be reported as abnormal, in other words, uh, not uh, safe or not normal, but that within the realm of all of the medications that we may be using, they are not considered to be dangerous and they are considered to be within uh, the boundaries of what is expected from many of these cancer medications. And this is another one of the remarkable things of the, the uh, millions of people living with cancer, the knowledge that what uh, may apply in other situations is not what is applicable to many uh, people living with cancer, as many of you uh, have shown in your strengths during your treatment is that we need to view everyone as a different person and tailor not only the treatments for people uh and for everyone differently but also how we interpret the lab results or the imaging results because everyone is different so again Before uh, jumping into any conclusions about a laboratory result, please wait to discuss these with your healthcare provider, and they can provide a more uh, uh, accurate explanation of what these really mean. So, with that, I would like to conclude this section, and thank you very much for your time today, and I wish you all good health. Thank you.
1: Oh, thank you so much, Dr. LaCouture. That was really excellent and just very informative. A lot of really wonderful information for everybody, and I'm sure there will be questions during the Q&A as well. Thank you. And um, before we move on, I was going to say a few words about Cancer Care Services. I'm Carolyn Messner. I'm Director of Education at Cancer Care. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about our free programs and services that you can access. So many people contact Cancer Care, um, our hope line at one 800 813 Four six seven three, and speak to our oncology social workers. We have about 35 oncology social workers, and they actually, um, that is the primary service that we provide. So we um, do not provide medical care. We all provide support to people who are living with all types of cancers um, so that that you can call, and, and if you, when you call us, you will be, the person who picks up the phone will be an oncology social worker. We also offer practical and financial assistance, And um, we also have copay assistance, which will help with some of the costs of of chemotherapy medications, and those medications can be very expensive. We also um, offer uh, case management, which means if we don't have the resource you need, we're not able to resolve your practical need that you're calling us about, we will virtually go with you to an organization that we think will be able to help, and we'll connect you and see if they can offer the service that you need. And we'll continue to do that until you get the service you need. So in other words, we won't just give you a list of places to call. We will actually take you there um, virtually um so that, just to be aware of that um and then we also offer online support groups and those are wonderful because they're they occur um they run 24 hours a day it means that it's not it's not specific to the time zone you're in um and it they are many different topics there are for older adults younger adults middle-aged adults young adults um and young adults with, all different, adults with all different types of cancers so that um, you're able to access an online support group that meets your need. And we have online support groups also on specific types of cancers as well. So that's, that's, a, that's just a great resource. People really appreciate that. And they're all moderated by an oncology social worker. And then we do offer these workshops that you're on right now, about 75 of them a year, and we also have many publications that we offer to you as well um, that you can access from our website. So I want to thank you for listening to this part. Now, before we take the q and A, I'm going to ask you just a few questions. Um, um Um, And so I appreciate for those of you who are live streaming that you will be able to um, participate in these questions It help us to better plan programs going forward. So the first question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident about my knowledge of the new treatment approaches for advanced skin cancers, including basal cell and squamous cell cancers. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And again, those of you who are live-streaming will be able to address these questions. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I feel more confident about my knowledge of the emerging role of targeted treatments for advanced basal cell and squamous cell cancers. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the next question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to work with the healthcare team to utilize their tips and suggestions to manage treatment side effects, discomfort, and pain of advanced basal cell and squamous cell cancers. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. Now, just two more questions, and this is. Next one. As a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in my knowledge of how to work with a healthcare team to utilize their tips and suggestions for the better care of skin during cancer treatments, including sun and wind safety tips. One is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. And the last question is, as a result of what I learned in this workshop, I have greater confidence in participating in clinical trials for advanced basal cell and squamous cell cancers. Again, one is the highest rating and five the lowest rating. I want to thank you all for participating in these questions. It really helps us. Um, to have really a better sense of what you knew when you came into the program, what you know coming out of the program. We're still going to have a Q&A session, but it just really gives us help in terms of planning future programs. And now we have time for questions. So I'm going to ask Michelle to bring our speakers on board, and we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. And Michelle will explain to you how to queue up for questions. Michelle?
0: Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please press star then 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking ask a question.
1: And I have a question in front of our online participants um, for Dr. Wong. I've heard that taking vitamin C can be good for pro- protecting our skin. Is this true? Should I be taking vitamin C?
2: That's a great question, and and uh, it really speaks to a more broader question is, that I'm asked by many patients: is, is that what can I do personally to sort of modify my risk factors? And I'll get to that second one. Uh, specifically, the data on vitamin C uh, uh, is such that we don't. There's no real conclusive scientific evidence that vitamin C has a uh, impact on the, the uh, in the area of skin cancer. There's been a lot of work done. Uh, on vitamin C because uh, it does have antioxidant properties, but remember uh, um, uh, when people tell you about a characteristic of a certain molecule like vitamin C, many of these works are done in uh, lab lab settings with instruments that can measure changes in, in sort of the characteristics and absorption of light so on and so forth, but under very controlled conditions. And when we talk about supplements, remember, they have to go into the body. They have to be ingested. They have to be metabolized. They have to be then absorbed in the body. Then it goes to the liver. Then it gets into the blood. Then it has to go to a specific site of action, you know, be it at a tumor site, be it in the skin. And and am just pointing this out because it's been a very difficult area of research uh, because many things that we hear about, don't really translate to what happens in real life. So the simple answer in vitamin C is, to date, as of now, we don't have data that it does anything to modify risk. Um, to to I want to address a broader question in the next minute, so I don't want to take up too much time because I know people have questions. People ask me what to do or when I see new consultations in my office. I always end by saying, you know, look, your skin's already told you what it can do. Now it can it can make cancers. Uh, uh, and this thing that happened here today that led you to my office didn't happen yesterday. It is a a lifetime of exposure to to to, to things that can give you risk like sun, and many of these people don't always have a choice. Uh, they're uh, they're agricultural workers, or, or they or by nature of their um, of their work or by the recreation find themselves in sun exposed areas. And and I think I tell folks this is in their time in in. In, in our in uh, in our lives that we have new information that tells us that excess sunlight is is can be harmful. So think about being sun smart. I mean, do you need to? Uh, <clears throat> I did an example I use uh, with one of my patients. Do you really need to wash your car at noon under the sun uh, with your shirt off? I mean, you may feel great doing it, but that modifies what you're doing. Uh, I've spoken to. Um, uh, folks who work with young athletes, do you really have to have practice at noon? Um, is that a better time for maybe a film study, or is that the time for indoor weight training? Right. So just some smartness about how we how we are approaching ourselves. And I tell folks, um, you know, uh, you have a choice of protection all the way from uh, things you put on your skin, rub on your skin to physical barriers like clothing. And obviously, clothing will beat chemicals. On your skin any day, so think about you know what you wear, the long sleeve issues, and so on and so forth, and, and 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 you know people who know me know that I'm unfortunately bald as a cue ball, so I actually wear a hat when I go out, and so on and so forth. No amount of of uh, SPF anything is going to protect the top of my head as I do my everyday walking around business. So I'll end there and take more questions. Thank you, uh, Carolyn.
1: Oh, thank you. That was a wonderful answer to that question. Thank you, um, and I think helpful to many. Um, and this person is a 39-year-old and recently diagnosed with uh, um, squamous cell cancer. I have surgery scheduled. What happens long-term after the surgery? Will I have recurrences? So if you could address this in a general way um, for this uh, uh, for this participant.
2: Sure. So, um, so that's one of the things to talk to you, your dermatologist about, dermatologist about because – uh, uh, skin doctors, the dermatologists, have a way of ranking your skin, and uh, and from ranking your skin as to the degree of uh, sun damage that's seen before, and the degree of sun damage reflects the amount of exposure you had before. So again, some of the things I said before about uh, being sun smart is important, but there are other risk factors that play into it as well. And and so what I uh, tell patients is is that um, For folks that come into my practice and have major surgery and need major consideration of uh, of ancillary treatments, even after surgery, I tell them um, one of the things we're going to do after surgery is to have a sit down and talk about risk. And then we're going to develop a risk mitigation plan. And this will be personalized to you. So everyone's uh, risk, as you know, is a function of all the things that have happened before and also what the uh, what the person uh, what the pathologist sees under the microscope when you actually take out the skin lesion, so that actually comes into the risk equation. So it's a broad answer, uh, but really, uh, but what I'm really trying to say is that you get an individualized idea of your risk, and and your skin doctor is the best person, or the person knows your skin best, is the person to best do that with you. Excellent,
1: thank you. Um, thanks very much, and. Um... Question. Um, so this is a, a question from one of our participants. Um, my doctor says that I have a pre-cancer on large areas of my skin, and he will do field therapy. I've already had Mohs surgery on my arm. Is field therapy with creams effective at prevention, and what other things can I do to make sure I don't get squamous cell cancer again? So... Great question. This is to kind of be the general, general answer. Of course,
2: yeah. No, it's a fantastic question because what it is is that uh, um, by the time you get to a situation where, uh, you, you know, you you have your skin cancer appear on your skin, I mean, that's a signal that, again, that the things that you've done up to that point have led up to this. And so moving forward from that point in time, what do we do next? So we already had a discussion about being sun smart, so I'll leave that. Behind, there are medicines that you can put on skin to try to uh, um, um, change the sort of progression of of what we call precancerous lesions. Again, these there's a there's a list of these uh, precancerous lesions that you can see. Each of them carry with them a certain amount of risk. Um, uh, when people say precancerous, there again that is a spectrum of change from well, you know, a little looks weird and not normal, all the way to, you know, uh, to the doctor's really worried and, and, uh, and we, you know, we're at the cusp of having to remove this because it's precancerous to that point. So there's a spectrum of risk. And so um, the type of therapies that we use to address them uh, ha- can run the gamut from using creams to, to change sort of the progression of things, using creams sometimes to evoke an immune response in that location, using creams that have direct effects, almost similar to, almost like chemotherapy, but not quite, where it will attack growing cells in that area. And of course, there's always uh, uh, the the end of that spectrum is surgery. So um, there are various things that can happen. And again, uh, uh, your doctor almost certainly has had uh, a situation where they've done some biopsies on some of your skin lesions Uh, And this is in many patients who already have a progression of their skin towards uh, resection or towards more aggressive variants. And so judging, taking all that information into consideration, they develop a topical plan, topical meaning put on your skin plan that will hopefully modify or stop down the progression of uh, of pre-malignant lesions to malignancy.
1: Excellent. Excellent. Um, thank you. Um, uh, and, um, another question, do I have to give up pursuing the activities I enjoy that expose me to the sun, wind, or cold, such as going to the beach or skiing and more? Um,
2: the, the answer is no. And, but again, sun smartness. So I tell folks, uh, you know, nothing beats barrier. So if you're going to go out and go golfing, which is a common thing here, um, you know, um, uh, Long sleeve shirts, high weaves that have that have very high SPF, uh, um, wide brim hats, sunglasses, uh, wearing um, long sort of uh, 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 pants as opposed to shorts. Again, you know, and modifying when you go out. You know, you go out at the beating heat of sun at noon versus an early morning or late evening uh, tea time, right? So. Um, modifying what, you know, how you do it, when you do it. Um, you know, if you are, uh, going to, to, uh, play tennis, right. Again, same sort of thinking involved. So of course, uh, you don't get the same comfort level being totally sleeveless and the rest of it. But this is a, uh, sort of a concession you make for the fact that your body's changed. It's already told you what it can do. Now, even the best of us can make mistakes. So, um, I go fishing with friends. I'm not a fisherman of any sort, but I go because I'm hanging out with my friends. And every couple of years, somebody arranges a trip. We go out on a boat and we do this thing. I just go out to hang with my friends. But I came back sunburned. I forgot that sun comes off the water and and hits you under your hat in your neck area. And, uh, and I noticed when I went out, many of the fisher uh, uh, men that do this on a regular basis or the commercial folks, all had bandanas and head coverings. They were covered up. Um, And so uh, that was a signal that they have already figured out that this is an important thing. I didn't know. And, of course, you know, you have to be thoughtful about these things. So, again, uh, I tell my patients this is not an indication that you must live in a dark cave, but rather an indication that you have to rethink what you've been doing. Your skin has already told you. Uh, uh what the issue is it's made a skin cancer so from here on in uh, uh you're you're put on notice that you have to uh, uh make a change in your behavior and in your interaction with the sun and uh and again I'm going to end by saying this is not an indictment of of having to uh enjoy yourself outside but to be smart about it
1: excellent excellent um, suggestions so um this um, sun smart is really wind smart. Really have to be that, that. Thank you. that's wonderful. And another question: um, um, How can I protect my skin from possible long term toxicities of treatments?
2: Well, that's interesting because um, uh, different treatments have different effects on the skin, obviously. And and in general, um, one of the things that can happen: people get a rash from medication. That's Actually, not restricted to cancer therapy, but any medicine can do that. Um, and some medicines, uh, especially in the treatment of melanoma, which we didn't just discuss today, can make your skin particularly photosensitive. So there's an educational component that has to do with uh, you and your healthcare team going through and discussing possible side effects. And one of the things I say to my patients is that here is uh, here's my expectation of what's going to happen. And that sets out two things. Number one is an information download as to what can happen. But more importantly, if something's happening, which uh, we didn't talk about, maybe this is something else. And, and again, this triggers that sort of uh, communication between uh, the patient and the medical uh, caregivers, right? So, um, uh, so part of that is education. The second thing is uh, many of the things we talk about, Uh, make the skin, uh, uh, talked about today, have to do with medicines that make the skin sensitive to sunlight. So that's something to, again, barrier for that. And if there are rashes that come up as a consequence, say, of immune therapy, and Dr. uh, LeCouture sort of uh, talked a little bit about this as well, there are medicines we have that can suppress that. We don't usually use them uh, ahead of time because you don't want to give something you don't need. And uh, I always say every medicine has its own issues and own side effects, no such thing as a medicine without side effects. So uh, so we don't trigger uh, using these, unless we have to, but there are creams that we have that can suppress or reduce the, 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 the rash you get with immunotherapy, for instance. So impossible to sort of talk about each individual circumstance and each individual drug and its interaction with skin, uh, but more importantly, it's a question to ask. And the person asked before about, Doing activities—that's something to 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 bring forth. This is you. This is your life. This is the things you like to do. So be uh, be, be sure to bring it up with your health healthcare team. I like to go fishing. What's you know? What's what? What do I need to know about this? I am an avid golfer. What do I need to know about this? So on and so forth.
1: Excellent. Thank you. Um, and I have a question for another question for you, Doctor um, Wong. Um, could it? Could you talk about surgery as a treatment for facial basal cell cancer?
2: Doctor, as did you say surgery for for facial basal cell?
1: Facial, yeah, basal cell cancer on the face, facial.
2: Okay, so uh, the, the surgery is a major way of handling skin cancers, basal squame, or or even other skin cancers. Uh, the difference in face is that this is what we call a cosmetically elegant area. In other words, whenever we do surgery, we want, uh, the principle of care of getting rid of a cancer is m- let's make sure we get rid of it adequately, definitively. And, and what that really means is that if you understand the word cancer, cancer is actually from the Latin word for crab, which means that it extends little fingerlets of tumor cells away from the central palpable tumor area. So we know that, it's not. It's 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 uh, uh, it's it's probably very wise to take more than you see uh, and can feel because we do know that there's extension of cancer outside. So in areas of the face, this is uh, a situation where uh, it can be as simple as a simple excision, or in a place that's really elegant, uh, there are places where cosmetically or close to critical structures, ears, eyes, nose, t- type of thing. You sometimes even need to bring in a team, and uh, it, which includes a plastic surgeon, um, uh, and uh, and head and neck surgeons, and, and and why? Because these are situations in which you need to really understand uh, where the tumor can go. So, if this is here, where else could it be, and be, be able to track this down? Because again, the principle of surgery not just to remove what you see, but to remove the cancer in a definitive way such that it does not become a problem for you again. Uh, and so uh, it, it is almost impossible to to give a specific answer to this because everybody's cancer on the face requires a a very individualistic approach. And again, this also may have to do with uh, 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 the person's uh, skin and and how they heal and how they scar and... And uh, and where to put you know the the incision lines. I've had patients that were done so elegantly that when I follow them up uh, over a long period of time, if I don't read the chart, I can't tell you what side of the face it was done on. You know, um, uh, our plastic surgeons and dermatologists are so adept at doing this uh, that sometimes uh, after everything's healed up and the skin has come back to a normal thing, uh, remembering that scars take time to. To mature and to heal, that in some of my patients, if I send a junior doctor in, <clears throat> I, I warn them read the chart because unless you you read the chart, you're not going to even know what side it was done on. So, um, uh, so the real answer is every case is individualized to the situation at hand.
1: Uh-huh well thank you very much uh you know dr L- dr Wong that was really outstanding uh answers to all these questions a lot of questions here there are many more but you really um, i want to thank those participants who asked such great questions and i want to thank you as well um uh, and you know just these are just a wonderful so thank you so much dr wong and um and our participants as well um and um mm-hmm. And I, I recognize that there are many more of you in queue. We didn't get to answer all your questions. So we answered a lot, but we probably could go on for another hour or so. So I'm going to address those of you who still have questions. So for those of you who still have questions, let's think about this. For those of you who asked a question, for those of you who have a question yet to ask, and for those of you who thought of a question during the program, we want you to go back to your treating health care team. We want you to ask your treating health care team the questions, Either if you, all, of the, all of the above. In other words, if you asked a question, because they know you the best, and so although we, we were able to give you some information that's helpful to you, still you need to go back to your health care team who know all the specifics of your situation. So that's really important. Um, and also, we will send you, at the end of this program, a survey monkey evaluation. In the evaluation, there is an evaluation. We, of course, like you to complete that, but there also will be – Resources for you to contact um, regarding, um, you know, regarding some of these questions that you may have that might be helpful to you. There are um, organizations that really um, specialize in this area, and it might be helpful to you to have them as a resource to call in addition to your healthcare team. We want you to know to to resources. so I know many of you like to go to the website and check out things and Google, Google. but we want to be sure you're going to places that have things up to date, like that means the same month and, and year. That's very important. Constantly being moderated and checked so the information you get is not a couple of years old, but actually very, very current. So that's very, very important. And um so, I'd like you to remember that. That's really important. And I'm hoping that what you've learned today will also help you to ask more informed questions of your healthcare team so that you've gathered some information that you can take back to your healthcare team in terms of how it applies to you. Um, also, um, I know that many of you are feeling, um, because of COVID, although throughout the country and globally, there are differences in what's happening right now. Many people feel more alone than usual. And um, I want you to now know that you are, and that's normal to feel alone. However, it is also available to all of you resources to contact when you are feeling that way, that there's someone you can talk to, whether it be a cancer care or some other organization or your healthcare team, which consists of many people, that so you have someone to talk to. And for those of you who want to access the service of cancer care, please go ahead and contact us as well. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today. You've been a great group, I have to say, just a great group and great questions and great speakers today. And I want to um, wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone, have a great day.